sure many of you will be happy to know this will be the last in this series. Um, I've been told how uncomfortable part of this series has been. And i got to give another disclaimer, I guess, which I probably should have done weeks ago, and that is this message is not about you. It may apply to you, but it's not about you. I'm not up here personally trying to call anybody in this room out. Uh, it, nobody called me up and told me to talk to you about this. I don't have any personal vendettas I'm trying to get out on this, and I'm not sending any of you all a text about this. This is just a series that we planned that I'm delivering. That's it. That's all it is. Just take it for, for that what it is. Um, second thing I, I want to say is we're, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, the confrontation. So far we've been really been talking about you being the one to send the text we need to talk. This morning I want to focus a little bit more in on what happens if that text is sent to you. What do you do when somebody sends you a we need to talk talk? And uh, how do we go about receiving that kind of thing? That's really where we'll be focusing this morning. Uh, another thing I also want to kind of give a disclaimer out for the whole series is I know that the we need to talk talk is more art than it is science. I know last week I gave you sort of 10 guide you know, lines to follow. Before that, I gave you some principles to follow in Scripture about speaking the truth in love. So we're kind of giving you some sort of general ideas on it. This is not a paint-by-numbers thing. There is no one easy way to go and confront somebody. So you've got to know that on the front end, that this is not an easy thing. Uh, it's more art than science. Sometimes you will get it right, and sometimes you will get it wrong. That's just the nature of it. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't do it in the future. It just means sometimes you're going to get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Second thing about it is you can deliver it perfectly and it still not go well, all right? I mean, you can deliver the most master piece of a confrontation to lay everything out in the most biblical, God-honoring, sweet, kind, lovely way that could ever be delivered, and they could still hate you for it and reject it, okay? So it's not like as if there's some you know, key that will fit the lock that is this person's heart of giving them a confrontation that they're going to receive readily and just go, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention. I will change everything immediately this week. That's not always going to happen. It may rarely ever happen. So just know that on the front end. Uh, don't come back to me like, I did everything you said and it still went south. Yeah, that's the nature of sin. That's, that's kind of the issue that we're dealing with. Uh, I mean, after all, it doesn't always go so well for God either, does it? Right? I mean, this is God we're talking of here. The very first we need to talk talk happens in the Garden of Eden, does it not? Adam and Eve eat, eat of the apple, and God comes in, and he's wanting to have a talk with them, and he's got to say, hey, where are you guys at? And they run and they hide. And so he asks them, did you eat of the tree you weren't supposed to eat of? And, and it goes exactly like you'd expect with God calling them out. Adam looks back and he says, uh, yes, yes, it was me. Leave Eve out of this. I take full responsibility for everything that happened here in the garden today. She has no part in this. Uh, I am the man of this garden and will take full responsibility. It went perfect for God, didn't it? No. And God didn't go back and go, oh man, I should have said it in a different way. Right? He's God. He doesn't, he doesn't rethink those kind of things. Uh, just because the confrontation doesn't go exactly the way you think it should, doesn't mean you messed it up. It doesn't always go well for God and for others um, who have these kind of confrontations. Um, second thing I want to point out is everybody makes mistakes. I know that's not a newsflash. I, I mean, we're, nobody's perfect. We understand that. So when it comes to somebody calling you out for your sin, just know on the front end, nobody's perfect. You have to live in that kind of reality. 
you have to live in a reality which understands you're not perfect and nobody should be expecting you to be perfect. And just because somebody is calling you out doesn't mean that they're looking at you and saying there's something so fundamentally flawed with you that no human being could ever love you. That's not what they're saying. They're just calling out an issue that needs to be addressed. And everybody's going to have this happen to them at some point. Nobody's going to go through this life without anybody ever having to confront them or talk to them. Um, It's just a part of who we are as humanity. Every one of us is flawed. Every one of us at some point is going to get called out for it. And so you may be thinking this whole series about who you need to call out. Is it possible that somebody's been thinking about you this whole series? And maybe some of you have been called out in this. So just understand that's sort of a part of it. Um, But what you need to know with that is your success or failure in life and where you spend all of eternity and what your relationships look like and the kind of person you are has very little to do with the number of bonehead mistakes you make in life. That's the sort of misnomer we have in life. We often think to ourselves that my mistakes are what's going to define me. No, because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes, has made the same mistakes you have and have fared a lot better oftentimes than you have. The difference is in the responsibility you take for those mistakes. If you go through the book of Proverbs, nowhere in does it to say the difference between the wise guy and the foolish guy is the wise guy makes every right choice and the foolish guy never, you know, makes every wrong choice. Rather, what you'll see, there's a dividing line between the two sides of the kind of person you could become And that dividing line is what happens when somebody has a we-need-to-talk-talk with you. Uh, Follow along with me. Uh, Well, don't follow along. Just listen along, I should say, uh, because there's too many verses here to to, to point out. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, it talks about uh, there are people who are full of honor, and there's people who are full of shame. And the dividing line is how they receive instruction and correction. He says, Poverty and shame will come on the one who disdains correction, but he who regards reproof will be honored. There's actually an honor to that. You know, somebody says, you know, One thing I really like about Jim is when I called him out the other day, he took full responsibility for it and addressed it. I was listening to a a management book where the leader stood and said, we had a disastrous event this past week. Uh, What happened? said everybody in the room wouldn't take responsibility, or nobody in the room would take responsibility for it. And so what he said is he said, your task this week is to figure out who's responsible for the disastrous event because I need to hire that person because clearly they're the only person worthy of being on the staff because nobody on the staff has any responsibility for it, therefore nobody on the staff can take any corrective action on it. Because if you're not responsible responsible for it, there's no way we can prevent it. We need to find the person who's responsible for it because that's the person who should be working here. It kind of like, you're like, wow. Uh, It kind of changes things. Why? Because the person who says, that was on me, I made the mistake, I need to correct it. Does that person go up in your mind or down? There's an honor there where somebody says, I like that. Um, whereas the guy who won't receive, receive any kind of instruction, they're an idiot. He says, eventually, you know, you look at them with poverty and shame. Uh, they're going to make so many mistakes, you're going to lose a lot of money and cause a lot of problems. Uh, it's a dividing line between somebody who's considered wise and somebody who's considered foolish. He says, reproof cuts deeper into a wise man than a hundred whippings will hurt a fool. That's Proverbs 17, uh, 10. In other words, uh, just one look. You maybe have this with some of your kids. You got the one kid who no matter what you take away from him, no matter what you do to him, no matter what you say, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like anything ever gets through to him. The other one, all you do is just give a look. And it's you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Because a word of correction 
will cut so much deeper to the person who's going to receive the instruction, whereas the other, it, it reminds me of, I, I had a bulldog, and it was really hard to discipline a bulldog because they, 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 they just, they don't take, they don't have a lot of feeling. I was at a friend of mine's house, and he had an electric fence up. I don't want to hear if you like electric fences or not. Anyways, his dog had been trained by it, so when I was over there, he's like, well, here, just put the electric fence collar on your dog, and, you know, he'll stay in the thing. My dog walks boldly right outside the perimeter where the thing's actively shocking him. He's like, oh, watch, he'll just jump right back. I'm like, no, he won't. Sure, if he sits down and just stares at me like, we going to do this all day? I don't know why you're doing this to me. And you have some who are just that hard-headed. That's a fool. A fool is the one who's so hard-headed, no matter what you do, no matter what you try to, to correct, no matter what you take away from this person, it doesn't phase them. They just keep on right on going. Whereas a wise person, one word, one look, one mention, one email, one text, and instantly they change. I remember the greatest example of this I've ever had in my, in my ministry career was uh, there was a guy uh, who was making you know, some bad choices in his marriage, and I sent him a text during the day. And I'd never sent him a text before ever. I got his number from his wife, and I sent him a text that said, hey, can we meet sometime for lunch? He writes back. It was like this, you know, like the three dots are showing for a little while, right? And he writes back, we don't need to do, do lunch. I already know how you got my number. I know what you're going to say. I'm on it. And sure enough, to his credit, I, I checked back with his wife. You know, a week later, she goes, What'd you say to him? He's a changed man. I said, I didn't say anything. I just told him we needed to talk. And I guess that, she goes, well, that did it. Wise, right? Wise person. Versus the person that you meet with 30 times in a counseling session and they never change their, their mind, right? Again and again and again and again and again and again. Uh, moving on. It's a dividing line between somebody uh, who you would say is very knowledgeable and somebody who's just straight ignorant. Uh, this is Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves instruction, loves knowledge. In other words, if you love it when somebody comes and says, hey, this is a problem, needs to be changed. This is a person who loves getting smarter. They love learning. Uh, if you ever do any kind of construction work, there is a good helper and there's a bad helper. The good helper asks questions. The good helper, when you come in and say, hey, hey, don't hit it like that, hit it like this. They're like, oh, okay. A year from now, that guy's going to be a master tradesman, or at least has the potential to, right? Because they love correction, they're gaining knowledge. Whereas he says on the other side, but the one who hates reproof is just stupid. Now, I don't know which translation I pulled that one from. I sometimes use Bible Hub to kind of go through it to you know, try to explain out which one makes uh, the best. You can look it up in your own translation of Proverbs 12.1. But the word stupid in my house is, is almost like a cuss word. As a matter of fact, Jewel thinks it's the worst cuss word you can possibly say. And if she hears me or either of her brothers ever say that word, she'll go, oh, did you say that word? And we typically have to apologize for saying it. However, there are certain times where I look at Jewel and go, yes, Jewel, I said it because it's the only word that applies. And she'll go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know of any really better word than somebody who, when you try to go tell them, that's going to mess this up. That's going to damage the wood. And they go, so? Well, you're just stupid. I don't know. What else, I, I can't do anything with that, right? Uh, it, it's a dividing line between somebody who's considered humble and somebody who's prideful. It says, the wise are cautious. And this is a Proverbs 14, 16. The wise are cautious and they avoid danger. It says, whereas the fool, they just plunge right on ahead with reckless confidence. You see, the idea is when somebody says, hey, don't do that. That's going to mess things up. So, they just keep right on going. 
the wise person, whether or not they agree with your instruction or not, they're going to go, wait, 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 what? What could happen? See, they're going to proceed with caution. Somebody who's humble enough to say, you know, there may be something I don't know. Um, that's why sometimes I've been on a, on a project and I've had a helper who really has no clue what he's doing, right? I mean, absolutely no clue. And I'll measure something and he'll look at me and I'll go, are you sure that's right? And every prideful bone in my body wants to look at him and go, who knows what they're doing here and who doesn't? What are you getting paid an hour? What am I getting paid an hour? However, I have learned the hard way. If they question my measurement, just go back and check it again. Why? What do I have to lose? 30 seconds? 30 seconds? Moving on. Uh, ultimately, it's a dividing line between sometimes between life and death. Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever keeps instruction uh, is on the way of life. But the one who refutes this is so hard ling linguistically. The one who refuses reproof goes astray. The one who refuses reproof goes astray. That's a tongue fisher. Say that 10 times fast. Or just try to say it as fast as I try to talk. Um, ultimately, at some point, the person who rejects instruction, at some point, you read over in Romans, God says he just gave them over to their lusts. He just gave them over and said, okay, you want to go on that path? I ain't going to mess with it. Do you ever get to the point with somebody who you try and you try and you try and you try and eventually just go, all right, man, have at it. Blow this thing up. Make a mess out of your life. I'm not going to say another word. Make, make a mess out of it. And you watch, do what we said at the beginning of the series, friends don't let friends drive off a cliff. At some point, though, after trying and trying and trying and trying, you just go, have at it, man. Full speed ahead. Thumb and Louise off this baby. I don't care. Because at some point, they're going to drive off a cliff, and you can't stop them. However, the other person is wise, and they live. Why? Because they listen. So as I said, there's a dividing line here between somebody who, is, who lives a life that is honorable and wise and knowledge and humble and finds life. And the other side of the person, the other side of this coin, the person who will not listen to instruction, will not take responsibility, is somebody whose life is full of poverty and shame. They're foolish, they're ignorant, uh, they're prideful, and ultimately, it doesn't end so well for them. So the main dividing line is, is how you receive the instruction. So when somebody brings instruction to you, what do you do? What is your response? Uh, Jesus points out when he's talking to Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3, that famous passage, for God so loved the world, he gave his one only son, move and believe in him, not shall perish, ever everlasting life. Right after that, he goes on to say, he sort of like telltells to Nicodemus to basically say, that's why I came, was to give life, but humanity, humanity is ultimately going to kill me. Uh, and he says to him this, right after this, this is a John chapter 3, verse 19, just a couple of verses later. He says, but here's the condemnation, that the light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. How is he the light? His very presence exposes our sin for what it is. In the same way that when you do a half-effort job, and the kid next to you turns in something that he spent, you know, two months working on and perfecting, it makes yours look all the worse. And in Next to Jesus Christ, all of us, our sins revealed for what it is. And Jesus says, I came into the world, and the problem is I'm going to reveal just how sinful humanity truly is just by my very presence. Because when the light comes in, the darkness doesn't like it. And he goes on to say, they don't like it because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not want it to come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 
But he who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds might be clearly seen because they've been done what's been done in front of God. In other words, there's part of all of our lives that we don't want a light shown on. And when you get that text that says we need to talk, what you're worried about is where are they putting the flashlight? What have they seen? What have they seen that I don't want them to see? To have seen, yes. Don't worry about my grammar. I'm a highly trained uh, professional speaker. Um, so what he's saying is the problem is they, they, they want to shoot the messenger. Why? Because ultimately, we love our sin more than we love a relationship. We love our sin more than we love the person who's bringing us the rebuke. We, we love our sin more than we love God. We love the ability to be able to call our own shots and do our own thing more than we want to have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. So at the end of the day, when somebody comes in, even if it's Jesus himself, we'll shoot the messenger. So just know on the front end, if you're going to bring a confront, if you're going to confront somebody, if you're going to send out that text, there's a good chance they will shoot the messenger. Uh, it, it happened to God. I mean, when Jesus came down, it happened to him. Uh, John the Baptist was ultimately taken out for calling out Herod. Um, Jeremiah, same sort of fate for him in the Old Testament. Uh, my favorite example, though, is Micaiah. Uh, you may not know Micaiah. It's one of the funniest stories in Scripture. Uh, this is over in 1 Kings chapter 22. Um, what's the, the backstory on this is you've got um, Israel's divided into two groups at this point. There, there's Israel in the north and there's Judah in the south, okay? And so what's happening is the king up in the north wants to go to war and he needs the southern king to help him. And so he calls him up and says, hey, will you help me go to war? And here's what happens. So Jehoshaphat comes up from the south uh, to Zedekiah, who is the king of Israel up in the north, um, and says, hey, can you help me? And he says, well, Jehoshaphat says, first, let's seek the counsel of the Lord. In other words, I'll join you if God's in it, but I don't want to join you if God's not in it. I'm not going to risk my, my men if God's not going to be fighting for us and fighting on our side. So Zedekiah goes and he brings together all the prophets. There's about 400 of them. And he says, shall we go to war against Gilead or shall we not? And they all say, go, for the Lord will give it to the king's hand. Jehoshaphat's looking around, though. He's like, uh, is there a prophet of God you could actually ask? <laughs> in other words, I don't want a bunch of your sycophant followers who are just, you know, on your payroll coming in giving you advice. I want somebody who actually is going to listen to God here. I want somebody who's going to actually be able to speak for God here. I want somebody who's sort of independent, non-biased, to actually come in who can really inquire of the Lord. Here's what he says back. <laughs> um, he says, well, there is still one prophet that we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. He never says anything good about me. It's always bad. His name's Micaiah. <laughs> Clearly, Micaiah doesn't have a problem with a we-need-to-talk moment, right? So, sure enough, they bring Micaiah in. Micaiah tells him flat out, if you go, you will die. This will not end well. So the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never says anything good about me? <laughs> Only bad. Then Zedekiah went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. And then he ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Amnon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. That's what happens to the person who's doing what God's called them to do and speaking what God's asked them to speak. What a prize, huh? 
Sometimes when you do the we need to talk, talk, that's what happens to you. It's a slap in the face, you're banished, and you're put on the outside until the person gets what they want. How did it end? Anybody even want to care to guess? The guy goes to battle thinking, oh, the worry here is they're going to take out the king, so I'll dress like I'm not a king. And sure enough, a random arrow comes and shoots him right between the armor, and he dies. That's how that played out. Uh, so all that to say, just know, you may do what God's calling you to do. You may be fully in the right, say everything you're supposed to say in the most eloquent way, and they could still decide to shoot the messenger. Now, on the other side is, if you're the one being rebuked, how do you know if that's what you're doing? Because I know none of you would ever do that, right? Right? I mean, if somebody came to you on behalf of God himself, you would never blame them, would you? Just in case that ever might happen, here's some telltale signs that you're doing it because you're not actually going to shoot the messenger. Instead, what you're going to say is something to the effect of, well, who are you to be calling me out? You think you're perfect? What about last week when you, right? Because you're not qualified to be able to speak to me. That's a version of shoot the messenger. I'm going to defame your character because I'm going to you know, impugn your credibility. Uh, this, remember, I don't like using old classic preacher illustrations. Maybe some of you all heard this one, uh, you know, where there's, you know, two ships are signaling to each other and one says, hey, you need to change course. You're on the wrong course. And the other guy comes back and says, no, you change course. And the other guy comes back and says, I'm a captain, you need to change course. The other guy comes back, well, I'm just a second class, but I'm telling you, you need to change source. And then he says, well, I'm a battleship, I'm the captain of a battleship, you need to change course. And he comes back and says, well, I'm a second class petty officer, but I'm here at a lighthouse telling you, you need to change course. Right? Sometimes it doesn't matter what your credentials are. Sometimes it could be just my helper, I'm looking at him like, you're an idiot. No, 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 you still need to listen. You know, if you're going to impute the credibility of the person who's calling you out, that's a form of shoot the messenger. Um... If you're tempted to say, well, I answer to the Lord and not you, or you're not my boss, you know, whether you go to the Christian side or some other side, that's a version of shoot the messenger. Um, calling into question their motives. Well, you're just saying that because you want my job. Well, you're just saying that because you're jealous. Well, you're just saying that whenever you're questioning out somebody's motives, then you're in the version of shoot the messenger. Um, what should you do instead? If you really do question their motives, and you really do question their opinion, get a second opinion. What's wrong with that? But here's the telltale sign when you get a second opinion. If when you go to get a second opinion, if you retell everything that was said to you in full detail, that's legit. If you're tempted to leave details out to make them look bad and yourself look better, you're shooting the messenger. You know how this goes. You get called out for taking things from the office you shouldn't have, for showing up late, um, and for not turning in your work. But you also got called out for parking in the wrong spot, which you didn't do. So what happens when you go to the second opinion? <sighs> Can you believe Kathy? She was just all over me, just writing me all kinds of stuff. And like, you know, I mean, was getting on me about for where I park. You know, I don't park in the wrong spot. I park in the right place. But you know, Kathy just seems like she has a problem with everything, right? Can you believe that? What did you leave out? You leave out what you said, you leave out what you actually did, and you leave out the real reason why she was calling you out, right? So if you get a second opinion to feel the need to trash them or not tell the whole story, that's a version of shoot the messenger, and it happens all the time. Um, so we don't go shoot the messenger if somebody's calling you out. Second thing that'll happen is your pride will get in the way. Now, if you're going to call somebody out, you've got to know pride's an issue. It's always going to be an issue. 
There are very few people who are humble enough to receive gladly a word that's spoken to them. It just doesn't happen very often. That's why the proverb says, listen, pride's going to come in. They're going to go ahead and tell you that you don't know what you're doing. They're going to think they know more than you, uh, and pride's going to enter in, and they're gonna, not going to want to listen to you. You've got to be able to fight through that and just still deliver the message you've got to deliver. So many times I've delivered a hard message. In the moment, they would not agree to anything I said because of pride. But lo and behold, if you look at their behavior the week afterwards, all of a sudden it starts to change. We do that. We all do that, right? So the question is, is this pride going to be getting um, in the way? Um, also, pride sometimes will make somebody not only disagree with you in the moment, but they'll continue to go on and make dumb decisions purposefully just so they don't look like they're wrong. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says, yes, this is a person who is ignorant. This is a person who is shameful. This is a person who is not wise. This is a person who's going down a very bad path that's going to end very poorly. So what do we do if we're receiving it? I'm going to start off with one that is one of the hardest things. Because listen, every one of us struggles with pride. Every single one of us struggles with pride. You struggle with pride. I struggle with pride. We all have a pride issue. Okay? Part of our pride issue is we're worried that somebody's going to reject us if they find out just how flawed we really are. That's what it is. What's the very first rule on our confrontation rules? You remember? All right, so good. I'm glad somebody was here last week. There was one person who was here last week. Wow, we, I don't know where all those people went from last week, but the very first thing was affirm your love and your commitment to them. Why? Because pride's an issue. Pride's going to whisper in their ear, if you admit wrongdoing or fault, they're going to reject you. That's what it's going to do. That's why nobody in the, in, the, in the meeting before when I said, you know, they talked about that issue with the business leader when he says, hey, whose fault was this? Nobody wants to speak up because they're all afraid they're going to get fired. I'm afraid that you're going to fire me. I'm afraid you're going to reject me. I'm afraid you're going to divorce me. I'm afraid you're going to end our relationship, end our friendship. So I better come up with some reason why I didn't do what you said I did just so you'll keep liking me. The reality couldn't be further from the truth which is why on the front end when you're doing the confrontation, they say, listen, I love you, which is why we need to talk about this. I'm not going to fire you. We just need to get this right. That's why we need to talk about this. So you're affirming the commitment. Why? Because you're trying to attack the pride that's always going to be there. So what do you do if you're the one being confronted? This is going to be hard, and I don't know how to say this without it coming across cheesy. Thank them for calling you out. Thank them for calling you out. Now, it's where, you know, so we say we need to talk. How hard is it to send that text for the average person, not the person who's looking for a fight? You know it's a hard, hard text to send. Whatever it is, I just want to thank you ahead of time for loving me enough to have this talk. What's Proverbs say? Proverbs 27.5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love because the wounds of a friend can be trusted whereas an enemy multiplies kisses. Thank you for caring more about me than our friendship. Thank you for loving me more than you fear my wrath. Right? Thank you for calling me out on this. Or in the middle of it, or at the end of it, when they've called you out for something, to say, hey, I'm pretty hot about this, I'm pretty mad about this, but thank you for bringing it to my attention. Pride will never allow you to thank anybody for calling you out. So it is a direct attack on your pride. And the direct, the, 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 level to which you cannot thank them for what they're saying may have a big deal to do with your pride issue. However, what's the goal? Our goal is to be wise. Our goal is to uh, make right decisions, cautious decisions, you know, one that we can bring honor. Here's the other thing about pride. Pride lies to you. Pride tells you, 
if they find out how flawed you are, they're not going to love you. The reality is, someone with pride in their heart cannot be loved. They cannot be loved. You cannot receive love if you're prideful. Here's why. What is true love? Is it not when you love somebody in spite of their faults and failures? I mean, anybody can love a winner, right? Everybody loves, everybody, everybody loved the Patriots back when Brady was there. I don't see a lot of Patriot fans anymore, right? If you're a Dolphin fan, you really love the Dolphins. If you're a Redskin fan, you really love the Redskins. Why? Because the team's riddled with faults. Riddled with losers. Dare I say, just like you and your life and your choices. And you won't know if somebody really loves you until they see you for who you really are. Faults and all. And if you just want to put out an image of, of perfection and you won't admit blame to anything, what you're really doing is saying, I'm not going to allow you the opportunity to love me in spite of who I really am. That's what pride does. So thank them for risking the friendship and pushing through and letting you know, this is something I see. And what is the first thing they said to you before they even said that? I love you. I'm committed to you, which is why I want to talk about this. Not, I love you and I'll be committed to you if you quit this. There's a difference there. Uh, next of all is another way that you work through your pride is instead of, instead of coming back at them with attacking, you just ask more questions. Why do you feel that way? What did I say that made you think that? What could I do differently? What are you proposing I, do, I change? Just start asking questions. You listen. You listen and you ask questions and listen to what they're saying, considering what they're saying. Here's another thing. Consider they might actually be right. Now, I mentioned earlier, when I'm on a job site, I'm usually the most knowledgeable there, unless I'm working with Pastor Chris or a couple other master car, uh, car carpenters. Most of the time, I'm working with people who don't know as much as I do. And they'll say, hey, did you check that measurement? I have to consider, maybe there's legitimacy to what they're saying. I have to consider it. Even though I don't agree with it, even though my pride tells me I know more than they do, even though my pride says, we'll get down a lot, whole lot quicker if you don't question everything that I say to do, if I consider maybe what I said was offensive, maybe I didn't say it in the right way, maybe I did come across short, maybe uh, I didn't make the right choice yesterday, maybe. Consider the possibility, crazy as it may be, that you actually could be wrong. Uh, and then lastly, uh, repent and apologize. That shouldn't be all that hard, right? You would think it wouldn't be all that hard, but for some, is there anything harder than apologizing? Will you finally confess, I was wrong? Uh, I do something that's sort of mean. Um, whenever somebody tells me that they were wrong, I whip out my phone and go, what did you say? And I get on a recording. That way I can play it over and over and over and over and over again uh, just for the fun of it. Um, <laughs> why? Because it's so hard to say. It's so hard to say. The ultimate humble statement is, I was wrong. You're right. I'm sorry. Now, to say that, does that mean that you were the only person that was wrong? Does that mean that everything that happened was 100% your fault? Not always. But is there reality in the fact that there's fault on your side that you need to own? Yeah. 
And humility says, I could have done this better. Even if what I did was not categorically wrong, I could have done it better, right? Uh, lastly, I want to end out. I, I did this comparison a couple years back, so I didn't want to spend all morning doing it. Uh, the way this plays out, there's a great biblical comparison. If you look at 1 Samuel 15 and 2 Samuel 12, um, you've got two guys. Uh, one is Saul and the other one is David. They're the first two kings in, in Israel. And both of them make a lot of mistakes. Both of them are very flawed kings. Uh, you could even make a very easy argument that David is much more flawed than Saul is. If you look at their sins and what they do, uh, Saul's issue is he's impatient, uh, he's a little hot-headed, um, he's got a temper, right? David's issue is, oh, I don't know, stealing his, one of his close friend's wives and then having him killed for it? I don't know. In my mind, when you look at the two things, okay, one guy's a little impatient, kind of a hothead, the other guy's bound to steal your wife and kill you. Which one do you want? You know what ends up happening? God rejects Saul, and then to David he says, you're a man after my own heart. As a matter of fact, I like you so much. When I send Jesus Christ to the earth, I want to make sure he's one of your descendants and he's in your same family line and he carries on your, your kingship. What? The difference between the two of them, as you guessed it, one ultimately takes responsibility for their actions and the other never does. When Saul's called out by Samuel, he denies, 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 deflects. No, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, okay, okay. So maybe I did something wrong, but can you still make me look good in front of everybody? It's all he cares about is public appearances. David runs and he hides for a long time. He's masterfully called out by uh, Nathan the prophet. And once he's finally called out over in 2 Samuel 12, you can read about his confession in Psalm 51. And he says, yep, that was me. I did it. God, I'm so sorry. If there's any way you can forgive me and re renew back to me uh, the cleanness and the purity that I once had before you, please, 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 that's all I want. That's all I care about. And later on, you even see when the ultimate judgment's carried out over his life for what he did, there's this guy who's coming in and he's basically taunting him with you know, derogatory comments. And David's warriors want to go and kill the guy. And he looks and he says, no. There's some truth to what he's saying. And there's even a good chance that it's God that prompted him to say this to remind me of my sin. That's a guy who gets it and says, you know, I am everything he says I am. Even though he's saying a lot of bad things about me, they're actually accurate. I had this coming to me. The only difference between these two guys is not the level of their sin or the number of times they mess up. It's what they do once they're confronted by it. The main difference between you and the relationships you're going to have, and the relationship you'll have with God for all eternity, is not your sin, but whether or not you take responsibility for it. Would you want me to close our time in prayer? Father, may we never forget this when it comes time to confess our sins before you. And especially at times like these where we're ready to come forward for communion, Lord. Maybe we just be able to lay our whole life bare before you for just coming forward in a moment like this is an acknowledgement to everybody in this room that I am a sinner in desperate need of your grace. Father, may we not reject you in our pride, whitewash over our sins, deflect the messengers you send into our life to bring us back into a holy relationship with you, to humbly receive your assessment over us. 
that before a holy God, we are a far sinner than we would ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.